Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Good afternoon, Joe. So we are recording today's episode in the afternoon of Monday, the 1st of November. Um, our big topic for this week is rather inevitably last week's budget. Um, we've now had a chance to get quite a lot of commentary um, around some of the measures. And Nick, I think, has picked up a really interesting piece of analysis that we will look in, in detail at to, to kind of unpick the, the background history of the budget and what it might, might mean for future um, and inevitably, I think we will be looking forward to Thursday, the 4th of November, where we have the um, MPC, the Monetary Policy Committee, um, very much kind of anticipated uh, reports on what they're going to do with, with interest rates. And there's been lots of speculation that those are going to have to move, whether they will do it this week. I mean, I think... It's, it's anybody's guess, really, isn't it? But history would tell us that they haven't always been as, as quick to um, to act as, as, as maybe they, they should have been. So we'll have a look, little look at and see um, what the thinking is on that. So, Nick, let's start with the with the budget, um, which was right. last week's last Wednesday, wasn't it? I think I'm, I'm losing yes. track. I was on holiday last week, so I'm losing track of my my days. Although I did tune <laughs> into the OBR report, so um, yeah, the budget. The budget. Okay. Um, now um, we. Uh, we don't think that our listeners want to uh, want us to plough through and go through all the measures and, and debate who are the winners and who are the losers in all of this. Um, uh, goodness knows, I'm sure everybody's had lots of uh, summaries into their inboxes from various uh, professional uh, uh, firms. And what interested me much more was to take a bit of an overview about this and um, if everybody will forgive me, I'm turning to my favourite economic commentator on this, which is the spiky-haired Paul Johnson of the Institute of, of uh, Fiscal Studies. And um, he did a, um, some sort of, I'm not sure exactly what the event was, but he uh, did a video presentation on the budget, I think uh, the next day, I'm not sure. And it has a fascinating summary. It's the sort of thing that I think only he as a commentator could possibly do. So if everybody will bear with me, what I want to do was sort of run through that. And um, if I suppose in a way I'm reading it, but um, it, it makes compelling reading. Apologies to those who've already heard this or seen this. But what he, what he said was, and he started with a comparison, looked backwards, and he said that fiscally speaking, this year will go down as a once in a decade event. It'll be up there with 79 when Jeffrey Howe cut direct taxes, increased VAT and set up a whole new monetarist agenda. Um, and with 1993, when there were the huge Lamont and Clark tax increases yeah. and uh, the start of a, a whole parliament of retrenchment. And then 2002, and this is a comparison lots of other people have made, when Gordon Brown showed his real intentions to increase public spending substantially financed by tax rises. Mm -hmm. And then 2010, when George Osborne kicked off austerity. Absolutely, and brought everything back. And blimey, is that still resonating to this day and will continue to do so. So what he goes on to say is that that we can now add 2021 to that list. And 
And, and he puts it beautifully sarcastically in context because he says, this is the year when a conservative chancellor raised taxes by 40 billion or so, when the tax burden was put firmly on a path to exceed 36% of national income and therefore to settle at a record sustained level almost 3% of GDP higher than it was just two years ago. Wow. Wow. And when public spending was increased across the board to take the size of the state back to levels not seen in normal times, in fact, not since the days of Geoffrey Howe, for those who remember those days. And he goes on to say that it's important to be clear that this was almost entirely a set of policy choices Mm. unrelated to to coronavirus. Mm. What we had was a chancellor responding to the ever-increasing demands of the healthcare center, uh, system on one hand, and the increasingly dire plight of the likes of the justice, uh, social care, and prison systems, which have been starved of funding for a decade, on the other hand. Uh, and he also um, mentioned that Sunak is, the Dishi Rishi, is presiding over big increases in capital spending that were actually, they're actually not his um, increases his capital spending. These are all things put in place by by his predecessor. And um, uh, uh, what he says is that compared with pre-pandemic plans set out in March 2020, the big change has been what's called the health and social care levy. Um, I will take exception to that. There is no social, social care. Social care in, isn't levy. really This in is it. all about mm. the NHS. So, yeah. you know, I wish people would stop talking about it in the context of social care because none of that money is going into social care. And that will become a problem. That is a kind of time bomb, isn't it, that we're, that we'll come we're back. expecting we'll come back. to see. We'll come we'll back come to, back that, to no that, that ever and ever again. I mean, there is money for social care, but all it's doing is is um, stopping 100,000 uh, middle-class uh, elderly people losing their homes. It can mm. do nothing for social care per se. So what that levy has done is to allow spending on health to rise by 4% a year over the next three years without creating a squeeze of the other departments. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what yesterday's budget did was largely take the spending rises penciled in back in 2020 that had been rubbed out in March 2021 and then allocate them to spending lines except other than health. Yes. So the, 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 the health levy... Is, in, is very important in terms of where money is now going elsewhere. And a crucial ingredient, he points out, in the policy decisions has been the way in which the OBR forecasts appear to have driven the government's policy. Because back in March, the OBR was forecasting a big long-term hit to the economy that would have left borrowing well short of current uh, budget balance, mm-hmm. which is one of, uh, of, of the Treasury's key fiscal ob- objectives. So. Um, Rishi Sunak announced big tax rises. Now the OBR is saying much more positive economic and fiscal outlook. So he decided not to reverse any of those tax rises. He's decided to bank them, raise spending, and bring borrowing in below pre-pandemic forecasts. And it is coming in well below forecasts. Yeah. Well Mm -hmm. below. If he hadn't topped up his spending plans, he could have reversed a third of those March tax increases instead. This is a chancellor who has responded to a hole in the public finances by relying more than entirely on tax rises to do the repair job. And just contrast. It's conservative. A conservative. It's a conservative. You know, it's not (laughs) just. It's not just the most recent conservative chancellors. It's back into history. Mm. This is really, really seriously new. 
Um, Paul Johnson also points out, which is important to remember looking forward, this gives him some cushion in case the OBR becomes more pessimistic again. Um, if the forecasts are correct, he could find space for a pre-election giveaway, tax giveaway of up to 7 billion and still maintain a bit of fiscal mm. headroom. Um, it's, but it's not a huge or a comfortable cushion given the current circumstances. And, and, and I think ABR made the same um, point in their press release that they tend to do a press release that um, yeah. we, we've started to, to attend. It's been a kind of come a fixture in the, in the calendar. Um, and I think they made that point that the, the headroom that he's given himself with these new with these new rules is not as comfortable as no. perhaps previous chancellors have um, have given themselves. So yeah, but because but no previous chancellor has well not not since World War Two. And, and not before that, since World War One, and um, the, um, the the Great Global Depression after after the after the First World War. So he is dealing with exceptional circumstances. Mm. So let's not be critical about this. Um, and and he he finishes his broad summary of the budget by saying that the worry for the government is that for all the Chancellor's upbeat delivery, the voters may not get much of a feel good factor because you've got high inflation rising taxes, despite what everybody's saying, poor growth, mm. uh, and the growth still undermined, interestingly, more by Brexit than by the pandemic. That figure that dropped out in the, in, in the, in the budget, 4% hit from uh, Brexit and a 2% hit from the pandemic. Yeah. <coughs> this will see real living standards barely rising, and for many, it'll fall over the next year. And then he went on um, uh, to pull this together uh, and, and, and to try and see how this impacts on um, our listeners. On public spending, he's, he, the theory is that this is a generally positive um, budget, more money for departments, previously starved investments. So if we have listeners who are suppliers to central government, and I emphasise central government, then there are reasons to be pleased with this budget. However, what he then goes on to point out is that if there is one, in terms of public spending, one area that will struggle, it is local government. Because yeah. it's got a real increase in spending power, but tighter limits on what can be raised in council tax. Grants are going to be frozen after next year. There's a continued failure, goodness me, why, to update funding formulas. So money is going to the wrong places. Mm. It's based on on population uh, and, and demographics that are so out of date, it's almost laughable. And of course, the, the, the 800 pound gorilla in the room is social care. And you know, we know it's we know it's going to be demand, you know, it's going to be a huge burden for local government. And the problem with that is that that, you know, in a way, local government is rationing social care, but there comes a point where you can't even do that mm. because sooner or later, um, the newspapers are going to fill up with uh, stories of people found dead in their homes, you know, pensioners found dead in the ho their homes after their, their, social, home their carers didn't turn up for a month. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. then, of course, government will have to, will have to yeah. act. So the risk is that local authorities will – sorry, it's not a risk. It's happening right now. Local authorities will be cutting – other services over the next few years. And then also, I mean, the other thing, I think you, that was something else you pointed out to me is slightly tangential, but perhaps um, a, a wider point, you know, that the 
all those local authorities that invested in property portfolios and you know relying on on incomes from from shops that are now you know not there anymore again yep. that's another big hole there's lo- loads of capital spending that's gone onto that in the expectation of income and that income is now not not materializing so we had slough i think um declaring itself bankrupt in the last week or so and and, yep. and no doubt other other local authorities under similar and, and that pressure. was followed croydon earlier in Absolutely, the year yeah yeah. You know, and 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 endless problems in Nottingham, and, and it, so it goes on, and 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 you look finally at standard of living, and and which then feeds through into spending potential around the economy, and uh, you know he makes the point, the policies coming into effect next April will be highly progressive, relative to the position today. So there will be gains for lower earners. And as a result of the national insurance rise and the tax allowance cuts, losses for higher earners. And of course, what that excludes is those who are out of work. And the position of those who are out of work, especially those without children, remains precarious Mm. indeed. No increase in out-of-work benefits for the childless, um, uh, unemployed for half a century now half a century leaves their living standards dramatically trailing those of the working majority. So to pull it all together, what he is saying, and I have to say I agree with him, this is uh, the story of this budget is one of spending increases and a worrying outlook for living standards. And I think as well, I mean, that that then it was the living standards point, um, OBR highlighted and Charlie Bean was at the um, Treasury Select Committee today reiterating that point that um, household incomes won't return to the 2019 levels until the end of 2023. And you had a fascinating, fascinating piece again from the IFS yeah. on um, what what the financial crisis, pandemic and Brexit have done to... Yes, um, I, mean, I mean, basically, spending. the um, average incomes in the UK are now expected by 2526 mm-hmm. to be 28% below where they would have been if the pre-global financial crisis trend had continued that's 9000 pounds a year yeah. and so that's you know, it just shows what happens if you get a series of the shocks shocks and it's why we should worry looking forward because you know somebody put it to me the other day cheerily um of course, you do realise that uh, the, the coronavirus um, pandemic is, is only really a rehearsal for, for a proper one in the future. So, um, gosh, cheery, aren't we? Again? Yeah, it's, it's cheery. Cheery again. But, but, it, but it, is, it, it, is, it is really important um, because, you know, if we need to remember we are an economy based on consumption. Yeah. And if you cut yeah. off the ability to consume, um, and essentially the OBR... Um, put out a, a, a couple of neat little graphics. Um, and and I, I do rather like their phrase. This is all post the budget. Um, uh, this is about disposable income. And it says, we have revised up forecasts for cash incomes, but that's entirely undone by higher inflation and higher taxes, <laughs> which, was a, which is a, you know, interesting when the OBR is having a dig at the yeah. government about something like uh, like that, and of course, the one thing, the specific that we um, we perhaps should refer to is business rates, 
Yeah, so this is this is the thing. We weren't expecting anything on this. So I suppose you could look on this as a slightly glimmer of positive that there there has been something done on on business rates. But essentially, it's can kicking again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, because they've said they they've been too busy to um, uh, to work out what to do about business rates. So they're they're still thinking about it. But they promise that they are thinking about it. Well, hallelujah for that. the high street and town centres um, community will be pleased that they haven't stopped thinking about it. But the, um, you know, yes, the the fifty um, percent relief for a year is is extremely welcome. However, there is a hundred and ten thousand pound cap mm. for business. So if you um, have half a dozen pubs or half a dozen cafes, it's not much. No. So for the real, the real small end of the market, the the independents, um, there is obviously a, a, a big, um, a big benefit from this. But once you're starting to get slightly larger um, businesses, that yeah. that tapers off. Well, one hundred and ten thousand pounds spread across um, the entire JD Weatherspoon estate ain't a hell of a lot, or indeed um, Starbucks <coughs> for mm. that matter. So. Yeah, I mean that was very good, and and I think everybody was was delighted with that, but in a in a cautious <clears throat> sort yeah. of sort of sort of. And as, and as well, I think the again this this may change, but I think at the moment the, the current thinking on business rates is that that um, the point that it's got to be net neutral in terms of the revenue that it generates hasn't yeah. been um, addressed. So any any change in kind of rateable values, or anything would be would be offset by the fact that the multiplier might um, might increase. So. You know, there but is that that's that's concern that that. Joe, it has to raise thirty billion. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise the um, you know the, the treasury's numbers don't add up. So it's got to come from somewhere. It'll the question somewhere. is making it come from somewhere fairer, yeah. or more fairly might be a better way of putting it. Yeah. Right. So we watch this space. Um, I suppose then should we should we look on the um, the insolvency um sorry the interest rates the reason i mentioned insolvency actually was because it was quite interesting so the the obr um press conference that i mentioned earlier um i last time i think i got in quite early and i managed to submit a question that was answered this time i was a bit too slow off the mark so my question that i i asked um was around what the obr had done in terms of modeling for um insolvency um increases because we were all expecting insolvency rates to to go up so i'd be quite interested to know what assumptions the obr have made around that and how that kind of figures into the forecasts um allegedly they will answer questions by email so i have submitted my question by email and i will report back if i <laughs> if i get an answer um but that that will be that i think that will be interesting for this audience if we get some some clarity around um around that um but I, sorry nick you, you go. i was only going to say and i um, forgive Forgive me, everybody, if uh, if I've already said this, but um, all my contacts in the insolvency world say that they are getting busier. Mm. I mean, you'd be surprised if they weren't, given that the the starting gun for winding up petitions was fired on the first of October. So yeah. it's you know we're running through the initial, and we're starting with, to get over that twenty day um, yeah, period. Day. Yeah, grace grace period. So the answer is. The answer is uh, watch the November insolvency figure space very closely. Absolutely, and we will we will obviously be um, be talking about that as and when. So in, coming to inflation now, one of the um, one of the things that I found quite interesting again, OBR do a little kind of comparison between what they said in their last report, which for them was March um, twenty twenty one, and what they're saying now. Um, and there were some positives in terms of the um, the economy 
the growth rates, which are looking more positive now in um, October than they were in March. But a very big difference on inflation. So inflation in the March 2021 report, they're expecting um, inflation to peak at 1.8% in Q2 2022. Now that's looking at 4.4%. And because of the timing, there was some various um, wranglings over when the OBR um, cutoff point was for the figures. They, the OBR actually said if, if they had um, if they'd let their um, period run a little bit further, instead of 4.4%, they would have been looking at closer to 5% um, next year. And that is very, again, coming back to this this point about um, our economy relying on spending um, power, if inflation is running at that that level and wages are not necessarily um, increasing, that has a a big impact on on people's ability to to, to consume and therefore the economy to grow. And Nick, you you came across a a really interesting piece in the Sunday Times yesterday. This is David Smith, who's, who's... Highly respected um, <clears throat> commentator, you know, been around the block many, many times, <clears throat> and he wrote um, a, a really searching. Um, I mean, based on Halloween, of course. What, what a nice <laughs> book to talk about how scary the inflation outlook and, and interest rates uh, could be. So good for him for finding an excuse to use to mention Halloween, <laughs> and, and he talks about what the inflation figures that are now being predicted by the OBR, not not, uh, the Bank of England, not um, the Treasury, uh, this is the OBR. And the OBR is what he describes as the official forecaster. Um, I... I tend to think of them as the sort of disciplinary shadow of the the Treasury and the Bank of England um, here. And and what they're predicting is um, that CPI, which is the sort of core um, uh, measure, which is convenient because it's lower than RPI, but we'll come back to that in a moment. CPI will rise to 4.4% by next spring, will average 4% throughout 2022. But whilst it will then drop to 3% average in 2023, it will not get back to the 2% official target until 2025. Mm. And RPI, which matters not because of, in, because of supermarket prices or pump prices at the petrol station, but it's very important for the cost of borrowing for the government, yep. um, student loans, mortgages, um, that is now expected to hit 5.4% in January. And, and I remind everybody uh, if they haven't pitched up already, over the weekend, several of the major mortgage lenders hiked their mm-hmm. rates. Yep, with anticipation. <clears throat> now, what, what David Smith goes on to talk about is um, he thinks that that means that the decision, uh, if not in, the, in this month's meeting, then the next one will be to take the uh, the bank of interest rate straight to 0.75%. No faffing about wow. with an interim, but straight to 0.75%. And then he talks about the OBR looked at two different scenarios. It's in the papers, um, which are slightly scarier. scarier. Um, what he talks about is either a situation where prices, particularly but not exclusively energy prices, rise more than it currently expects 
as businesses increase margins and seek to recover higher costs. The other scenario that worries them is if higher wages results in a powerful echo of the wage spiral, wage price spiral um, of the past that I remember when I was Mm -hmm. much younger. And what he goes on to say is that the two would have different impacts on the economy, but they add up to the same thing. It's a broad message for inflation, which is that it would go up a lot and the bank would be required to respond aggressively. And and what he's and what he uh, means by aggressively is well, we'll come back. What he means by aggressively is the OBR says in its papers that if that happens, a simple monetary policy rule based on 5.4% in 2022, 4% in 2023, 3% in 2024 would require the bank to put interest rates up to 3.5%. You know, and as he then goes on to, to and, and of course, he, he also says, you know, in case anybody thinks 5% inflation is not so terrible, that the bank could afford to look through the rise, um, the OBR says that if there isn't a response by the bank to the infl- to this inflation peak, that peak will be two or three percent mm. percentage points higher. So it could be seven, seven and a half, or even eight and a half percent. And, and so, I mean, it's what we've seen, isn't it, happening? You know, over the last few months, where the Bank of England has said, "No, no, this is temporary. This not good. You know, we're not expecting yep. inflation to go high." And then by not doing anything, actually, that that it, it's kind of self perpetuating, isn't it, by by lack of action, and well, people get worried they won't take action. Well, it bake, you know it bakes in the ex- expectation, that, and it makes it more difficult to shift yeah. people's behaviour. And, and what he goes on to say, finally, I mean, he, he bangs on endlessly about quantitative easing, and I don't want to get into all of uh, all of that. But what he does go on to say, and, it, and it's a it's a real reminder of how different economic circumstances are now. A bank rate, rate of three and a half percent before the financial crisis 2008-2009 was entirely unremarkable. Mm. Nobody nobody blinked an eye at 3.5%. That sort of rate now would crash the housing market and it would most likely push the economy into recession. And what it would, uh, you know, much talk, you know, I've talked about it, you know, we've talked about it, about, you know, what happens if we get mild stagflation um, for some months? This would be an entirely different, different level, thing wouldn't it? Mm. thing. We can forget about stagflation. This is something else again. Yeah. Something else again. So um, I think that's his way, and of joining a lot of people who are saying to the uh, the MPC, please don't faff about. You know, mm. if you know, send a signal that you're serious about this, because if you don't, by the time you do it, it may be too late and you may have to go further than you would wish to. And that will threaten the recovery. Absolutely. Yeah. So all, hey, and then um, all of these forecasts out of the out of the window and the borrowing costs, as we know, are so, so tied to the um, to the interest rate. Yes, I feel like I should, should have a werewolf mask on and, and we should be back trick or treating last yeah. week. <laughs> But it was, it, you know, you do. I mean, maybe just to soften that a little bit, you know, we, uh, if you follow economists, and particularly media economists, uh, as I do, day in and day out, you know, you do get these um, 
uh, apocalyptic um, predictions and these warnings and and they you know these pe- people not not so much David Smith but there are others who cheerfully forecast the end of the world uh, you know one month and then the next month are saying something completely different and appear to be completely oblivious of what they said previously so you know it's the old thing you know, do remember that if you uh, if you the old joke about if you laid all laid all the economists in the world end to end they would never reach a conclusion. <laughs> So we and I think, and I guess there is that time. I think there is something about the timing. You know, this feels like such, as we said before, it feels like such a crunch meeting um, on on Thursday. And I guess there is that that sense that that something needs to um, to happen. Yeah. So we shall have lots of plenty to talk about on our on our next um, on our next <laughs> podcast. Um, Nick, I think that that wraps pretty much everything that we have to say this week thank you very much a really really interesting um summary so thank you very very much for um for talking us through that thanks everybody for listening until next time goodbye goodbye